Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Red Box podcast and The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is part one of the Red Box Whip Round, a special mini-series of interviews going behind the scenes of the Whip's office. From the little black book of misdemeanours to what's in their drinks cabinet, I've spoken to serving and former government and opposition whips about what they do and, more importantly, how they do it. In part one, Anne Milton, currently the government's deputy chief whip, gives a rare interview for a serving whip about enforcing discipline, the increasingly lonely life of an MP and writing gossipy notes to the Queen. And I began by asking her what the average day as a whip involves. There's never an average day, which is why it's a wonderful job. Come in in the morning, turn the lights on and we're, you know, turn the lights out when everybody goes home. The main job of the Government Whip's office is to make sure the government gets its business through the house. Uh, we're like stage managers, so each day you take a day when actually the business is quite quiet, we're on a one-line whip, there are maybe backbench business debates. We make sure there's a whip on the bench always sitting there, making sure that we've got speakers making sure government ministers turn up on time. If the business falls short of the anticipated time, we make sure the person who's got the adjournment debate is in the chamber. So we're stage managers. Every day we stage manage what's going on. But say our overall aim is to make sure the government gets its business through. So just talk us through a one-line whip, two-line whip, three-line whip. What does that mean? How do you decide which sort of whip it is? And what does that mean in practice for you and for the MPs you're in charge of? A three-line whip, it means that people have to be here. Actually, the days of two-line whips are are gone. I was elected in 2005, and I don't think we had two-line whips then, even. What would that have involved, a two-line whip? Well, that it was a bit optional to be be there to vote. A three-line whip is is government business is is on the order paper. And you've got got to be here to make sure the government can get it through. That's right. A one-line whip means that it's optional. Yeah. You, you, you don't have to be here, but if you are here, that's absolutely fine. And so it's your job, so when there's a debate, particularly if it's an opposition debate or it's not legislation, but to make sure that the debate keeps going and that you, you play a role in making sure there are people on the benches willing to talk and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think what's important is, is MPs are very busy. Yeah. You know, the public get a bit disconcerted because they look at the House of Commons chamber and they say, well, nobody's there. Actually, a lot of, you know, average MP will be getting three to 400 emails a day from their constituents. 
there are select committees, there are bill committees, there are all party parliamentary groups. There's so much else going on that it's not always possible for people to find the time to actually speak in debates. So we do make sure, and particularly members, again, because of the busy life that they're leading, aren't always aware of the debates coming up. So if you know somebody's got a particular interest in flooding, say, and has had flooding issues in their constituency, if we know that the minister is going to make a statement about flood defences, we might alert a member to say you might want to come and listen to the statement. And the thing that everybody thinks they know about whipping is the sort of discipline, telling, making sure that people turn up and toe the line and do as they're told. What's your sort of start? You know, every, everyone thinks of House of Cards and whether it's Francis Urquhart in the British version or Frank Underwood in the American one. How, how true to life is that from your, your experience? Oh, well, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I think um, life's changed. I think the first person to serve in the Conservative Whip's office that hadn't got a background in the armed forces was in 1978. So traditionally, whips officers were, you know, the tough guys, those with military service, very hierarchical. Those days actually have long gone. These days, I think a whips office is looking to find some sort of compromise between what their front bench, in our instance, what the government wants to do and what backbenchers are prepared to support. So you're a cross between management lackey and union steward, really. <laughs> and the whips are sort of halfway between the two. Yeah, we, we are the facilitators. So, yeah. so in every way, actually, we facilitate and pass messages both up and down to government. So, you know, when Prime Minister wants something to go through, we will say, you know, this is what the Prime Minister wants us to do. This is what the Secretary of State needs. This is the legislation we need to get through. So we facilitate that relationship. We also facilitate a relationship with the opposition parties. So oddly, and, and contrary to what most people would believe, we have an incredibly close relationship with the Labour Whips Office and the SNP because although the government can slam its business through, you know, we have a majority, actually good government is about making sure that the opposition have, have time to make the points they want to make. So we will work with them to make sure that we get agreement sometimes on timing of votes, sometimes on amendments that they want to push to a vote. We will have a discussion to make sure the time is allowed. And there's a lot of respect between the two whips offices, um, referred to in the trade as the usual channels. The usual channels. And that's where you agree when the timing of when things come through into that's right. the comments and that sort of thing. Ma- making sure, as I say, they, they have time to oppose. Similarly, we're also making sure that our backbenchers have the opportunities to make the points they want to. And, of course, in this day and age, we also have quite a big HR role. Yes, I was going to ask you about that, because the traditional idea of having lots of military in the whip's office, but then, you know, lots of people who'd served were also MPs, and they maybe, you know, they knew that if the boss told you to do something, you, you did it. Now you've got people who come in and they've run businesses or they've been senior... Uh, people in previous lives, whether you know they might have been a GP or a barrister or whatever, they're, they're less used to being told you are going to do this solely because I'm telling you to do it. So how do you how do you approach those those issues? Well, I, I think that you know that this is I suppose where the HR role crosses into you know the traditional role of whipping. Yeah, um, lots of people come here as you say, having done other things, and I think when I got elected in 2005, the most striking thing to me was that contrary to, you know, negative newspaper reporting about um, MPs and politicians generally, actually every MP comes here because they want to make a difference. They've got 
70,000 odd constituents to represent. Um, they want to make sure their, their voice is heard in Westminster. But also, they, as I say, they want to make a difference. So part of, of my role, part of the WITS office role, is to make sure they get the opportunity to make a difference. And it's not just about becoming a government minister. It's about being on select committees. It's about being involved in all party groups. It maybe is about being a trade envoy. There are all sorts of ways you can, as an MP, make a difference not just to your constituents, but also to good governance. And for some people, for instance, spreading democracy around the world is an important issue. And how they come here with the right reasons, everyone comes and they want to make the, the country a better place. How much of a role does the whips play in sort of keeping them on the straight and, you know, the the bars can be open late in Parliament sometimes, or away from home in London during the week. Sometimes that can be a bit much for people. Well, I, th- I mean, I think it, it can be quite a lonely life, and actually there's been a lot of discussion recently about that. You know, people are quite isolated. MPs are, are sole workers. You scurry away in your office with your office staff, and actually you're not always aware of what other people are doing. I think the changing of the hours, although it's a positive thing, we don't sit all night. I think there was a natural camaraderie when the House did sit all night, so people were here together. Now if the business finishes at 7.30 or 8 on a Tuesday evening, you go home to your flat or you're staying in a hotel, and you possibly don't see anybody else. And you're aware of the fact that your family and your kids are a long way away. So... We do make sure that we look after people. I see it as Deputy Chief Whip as a bit like having 329 employees and they will have a mixture of the same problems as any other group. You know, marital breakdown, problems with alcohol maybe, mental health problems, physical health problems, um, family problems. And we need to make sure that they get the time off if necessary from here to see to some of those um, matters that they're looked after, actually. And is that a bit of an... In- because one of the con- concerns about the late-night sittings was they weren't very family-friendly, and particularly if people had got young children in London, then it, they could get home to them. But actually, one of the unintended consequences of that has been the impact on those people who are going home on their own and feeling lonely. No, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And you know, there's constant discussion about making Parliament family-friendly whatever that means, it means different things to different people. But it is quite hard. I mean, you are working in two places. Yeah. You're somebody who works in two places, which means that you will, for part of that week, be away from family and friends, and we have to take account of that. Now, one of your previous... Because you've been in the Whip's office for four years, but in different-sounding, quite grand titles sometimes. Just talk me through the titles that you've had. I, yes, I came in and I was a Lord Commissioner. Which, so, so what does that mean? You, 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 the, all these are terribly ancient titles, which are, um, I don't know where the title Lord Commissioner goes back to, but we essentially have to sign off certain expenditure and things for the Crown Estates and things like that. I've also been Vice Chamberlain to Majesty's Household. There was just a role where you, you write a message to the Queen. You write every a day. message every day to the Queen, which is an incredible honour, actually. You just um, tell her about what's gone on in the house. I am told that she appreciates little bits of gossip, so. So you'd include those as well? So I'd include it. So, describe, describe, how do you do it? Is it literally handwriting it on. No, we're not handwriting oh, right. it on vellum. Oh, or that's like disappointing. That. No. I mean, the no, big quill, that's what I wanted. Um, <laughs> I think one of the labour. 
Vice-Chamberlain when they were in government was a loss to Han Rices and I think a very diplomatic response from the palace to say that typing would be absolutely fine because his writing was illegible. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I used to type it and as I say you get a bit of flavour, a bit of colour, a bit about what's going on in the tea room um, and you write it every day that the house sits, it's lovely, fantastic. And how long did you do that for? I did that for about a year and a half, I believe. And do you take it personally to the palace, or how does no, it then... No, it goes in... in the, there's a post that goes to the palace yeah. every evening around six o'clock, so it goes in that. But did you ever hear back from... I did. I had... I, the wonderful thing about that job is you, you get an audience with the Queen, and so you get a little bit of feedback then. And she, she likes the gossip from what's happening in the tea rooms. Well, I don't know that I should comment. <laughs> <laughs> People have got into trouble commenting. I think you might be right. Do, yes, I think commenting on what the Queen says. But you do, you're, all, you're also the hostage. You are the hostage when the, when the Queen's speech um, is taking place. So the Queen comes here to deliver her speech at the state opening of Parliament. And the palace keep a hostage and the vice-chamberlain is the hostage while the Queen is here and can only be returned once the Queen has safely returned to Buckingham Palace. So what are you doing while you're in Buckingham Where are you in Buckingham Palace? Do you watch the Queen's speech? I, th- I, think, I think, you know, the Vice Chamberlain would be given tea and coffee and any yeah. other refreshments that might be appreciated. <laughs> um, but in fact, in the Government Whip's office, there are three members in total of, oh, okay. of Her Majesty's household. So as Deputy Chief Whip, I am... The treasurer to Her Majesty's household, and there is a comptroller to the household, and the vice chamberlain. So that's rather special, actually. We have duties the day, apart from the vice chamberlain, there are other duties we have on the day of the Queen's speech. I got to ride in an open carriage with Princess Anne, which was very special. And that's the sort of part of the job that presumably you didn't, when you arrived as an MP in 2005, you don't expect to end up in a. I think Carriage with your royal namesake. Yeah, and as, as somebody who, you know, I spent 25 years working in the health service before I went into politics. I, you know, it's not something I'd been involved in at all in any way. So if you had said to me in 1992 I'd end up riding in a carriage with Princess Anne, I'd have thought you were completely mad. <laughs> <laughs> and you were, before you became a, went to the Whip's office, you were a health minister. That's right. Which of you preferred? Did you like being a minister? Did you prefer being a Whip? Oh, I think uh, they're a different job. Being a departmental uh, minister, uh, incredibly busy, particularly in the Department of Health, and it's very good insight. I think both things, that in order to be, to understand that business of government in the round, it's nice to be in a minister, and to be an effective minister, I think it's good to be in a whip. They're both, both in Yeah, yeah, because you understand. If you, if you become a government minister without ever having been a whip, you don't fully understand how the Houses of Parliament works. How, how much of that is important to know how Parliament works rather than just, you know, the stuff that's coming out of Number 10 and, you know... The oh, it's critical, and, and the Whip's Office is all about understanding how Parliament works. And the, um, some of the other people I've spoken to have talked about the, you know, what's in the drinks cabinet. Alistair Carmichael's talked about, um, you know, he had a good stock of Scotch whisky in his to, to help oil the wheels of, of whipping. What's your sort of drink of choice or how do you win over somebody who might be being a bit difficult I have um, uh, well I personally yeah. drink a lot of tea drink a lot of tea very I good have, very I good. have a bottle of sherry on my desk very good that, uh, <laughs> that helps things that helps things along but no no not a lot of oiling wheels no. these days we are we are um, in every way getting to be a modern whips office very good very good and does that mean there's no little black book 
oh, I couldn't possibly comment on that. Because there's been the past... There was, there's been some controversy about the, the little book in the past about the idea that things that may have even been illegal were known by whips but not by the police. Do you think that is really true? Do you think that still goes on now? In this day and age, everybody is very mindful of freedom of information and very mindful of data protection. Yeah. And what matters that a mo- is that a modern whip's office behaves in a manner in which the public would expect it to yeah. behave. So if you, if you knew an MP had done something wrong, they'd be dealt with properly? If anybody ever came to us and said that wrongdoing had taken place, we would advise them if they felt or suspected that criminal events had occurred, that they should go to the police. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No question about it. Fantastic. Anne Milton, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Catch every episode in the Red Box Whip Round by subscribing to the podcast on your Android device and on iTunes, where it would be great if you could leave a review. And for daily insight behind the scenes on life in Westminster, sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash email. But for now, for me, Matt Shawley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 